Welcome to Birth Mothers Amplified, giving a voice to the women behind adoption. Hosted by Emma and Mathani. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Birth Mothers Amplified. I'm Mathani. And I'm Emma. And today we have Cammie joining us. We're super excited. Hi, Cammie. Hey. Hello, hello. <laughs> um, today we'll be talking about the importance of boundaries before, during, and after placement and navigating parenting after placement. Yes. And so Cammie is a birth mother of five years. She is a mother of three or almost three because she placed her first daughter and she's parenting her second and the third is on the way. So congratulations. Cammie was a preschool teacher for six years and is currently a stay-at-home mom, but in the process of becoming a nurse. So Cammie, we're so excited to have you on our Yes. So if you will just go ahead and take us through your adoption journey. It's almost six years ago. I gave birth to a little girl. Uh, she, I was with the birth dad for a short while. We were both young. I fed, fell head over heels for him. The relationship ended pretty quickly with him cheating and stuff like that. Um, he just wasn't ready in that type of situation. Two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant told him and he was like, that's not mine. And he has no recollection of the uh, conversation to this day. He was too drunk. Um, So he was not involved at all. After that conversation and after telling two of my friends, I kind of just kept it a secret. I didn't really discuss it with anybody. I uh, waited until October and she was due in January, told my parents, did not go well, as you can imagine. I mean, teenager, you know, pregnant, whole nine yards. I was working at a bar at the time, like didn't make much. That didn't go over well. And that's when the word adoption got thrown out. Uh, prior to that, I was anti-adoption. I was like, this is not going not going to do it. Why was that? I think just out of pure ignorance. As a teenager in high school, you don't really get educated on it. And the biggest stigma right now is I mean, still to this day is that birth moms are like drug addicts or don't care about their kids, you know, which is not very often the truth, actually. Didn't really have any life experience. I was like, nobody's going to raise my kid. Like my kid's not going to be out there in this world, like without me. Like, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. And so when the word adoption got brought up, I was like, I'm going to research, I'm going to educate myself. And so I did that for days and I went through tons of parent profiles. I hadn't made my mind up. I was still like, oh, I'm going to parent. I had already done a registry. Finally, I came across this profile and it was a video profile, which was like a trial thing at the time. I fell in love. I was like, this is the couple I'm doing adoption, whatever they want, I'm going to do it. So their agency I contacted and that's how I chose the agency. The caseworker that I got put with, we met and she was like, you really need to look at other options. They want semi-open. I didn't know what I wanted and she did her best to educate me on it, but I was just dead set. I was like, no, this is it. Like I have this vision. These are people. You're very far along at this point. Yes. So I could also see some level of urgency to choose a couple, but I'm glad that your caseworker was like, okay, 
you know, still, are you sure? Um, because right after I had told my parents in October, I think I met with the caseworker in October. So it was pretty close together. It all kind of happened really close together because I met them, the adoptive family, like early November. Like decorations were out for Christmas, but it wasn't like Christmas time yet. Well, we had a phone call and in that phone call, I was like, it was finally these voices that I put to these videos that I had watched, you know, I was the person I idolized these people and um, watched their video every night. It was something that I just watched on repeat. That sounds really crazy and stalkerish, but like, I just pictured like, this is, this is the house that my kid's going to be running around in. And this is like the dog that they had in the video. This is like my kid's going to be playing with this. And like the dad cried, like he got teary eyed in the video. Mm-hmm. And that just like, that's the man that I wanted, you know, like in the future, like that's what I want my future husband to act like. And I was like, this is the perfect family. And so during the phone call, it was just even more perfect. We had a lot of similarities and a lot of common likes and interests. They had this like glamorous lifestyle of like traveling all the time and she was a flight attendant and then she went to dental hygienist and he like sold all these like fancy cars and she wore like hills and all kinds of stuff and like found her on Pinterest, which is unusual to do, but we found each other because she got my name off of my ultrasound that I sent her. Then like I stalked her pretty much and <laughs> found her this whole life that I had pictured that they live and that they are and stuff like that. And so then we met and they were, they met that expectation to a T. She walked in in hills, gorgeous hair, perfect, you know, and he's gorgeous and they're just like the perfect couple. And they walk in and they just look like movie stars, like, and they're (laughs) normal people. But to me, like I had already like had this vision in my head. And so they sat down and they gave me this really cool snow globe that I keep as like a little memory. The dinner or the lunch went really well. Uh, and then afterwards we walked out and I asked her, I was like, look, like, would you mind being in the delivery room? Which I don't know why she would mind that because it's her kid. She cried and I cried and the whole restaurant probably thought we were nuts. We're all like in tears and you know. I always wonder when those like dinners and lunches happen, you know, like, I mean, I'm one of those people that like, when I see a couple, I'm like, I wonder if it's their first date and like try to, you know, figure it out. I wonder when they like see this like pregnant woman with like these, you know, just like trying to figure out the diet and there's buggers and it's like, what is going on over (laughs) there? Well, and I remember there was these like big Christmas trees because like we went to a Mexican food restaurant and here in Texas, like that's a big deal, you know, and they go all out for Mm -hmm. Christmas. We have these big decorated Christmas trees in the restaurant and we're like taking pictures in front of them. Like I, like that's the one picture I have of me being pregnant is like in front of these big Christmas trees and this busy dining room and people are probably like, what is happening? What's going on? Yeah. So I've never thought of it like that, but probably. Yeah. (laughs) But it's sweet. You had that moment with adoptive mom of, will you be in the delivery room? And clearly she was elated. Yes. Uh, it was, it was a really good moment. It's something that I cherish. I mean, you can't, you know, make up a moment like that. After that, we had like a Google number. So we got to text each other. We did have a semi-open agreement, but, um, and I think this is something that is probably the biggest deal in my journey is that 
we kind of just let that go out the window. Like we knew it was semi-open, but I was 18. I'm a people pleaser. So I crave relationships. It's a fault of mine. I don't know. And she didn't stop that. And I think, so we would text all the time. I mean, every day she'd check in. Did y'all have each other's phone numbers? It was like a Google number. So okay, it worked the same, but when they came through, it was like, it changed the numbers. Got it. So after that, she came down for a doctor's visit, uh, did an ultrasound, and then we went shopping. And that was just the coolest thing to me. Like, we went shopping for a baby shower, like, outfit for her. I just thought that was the coolest thing. We got a lot of really quality time, and she got to meet my parents that night. We went and, like, had coffee with them and, you know, whatever. And then she went home when I... It went into labor. It was, it's funny because I think I called my caseworker like three or four times prior to going into labor mm-hmm. and being like, I think I'm, I think this is it. And she's like, I don't think so. And I'm like, no, it is. And so <laughs> I was a week late. So I was like constantly thinking like, this is it. Like this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and it, it was never it. And so mm-hmm. finally it was it. And I woke up and I went to my doctor's appointment just because I was a week late. So I went um, on that Friday at like eight and I had already been up that morning, like having contractions and I thought, yeah, okay, well, this is the fourth time that I thought it was it. So, you know, I'm just like, whatever. Okay. So I go in and she's like, Oh, it's not active labor. You'll be like this for days. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. She said, but on the bright side, it's coming. So it was like, yay. So she was like, we'll probably induce tomorrow if it like, hasn't progressed a lot. I'm like, okay. So I call everybody and I'm like, they're probably going to induce tomorrow. Like no rush. Like it is what it is. Well, so that was at eight. I drove myself back home and at 11 o'clock I'm throwing up like contractions Uh, two and a half minutes apart. Oh my gosh. I call my dad. I'm like, dad, this is it. Like, you don't understand. I know she said it's not active labor, but like I'm throwing up, like I gotta go. And so yeah. he comes and he gets me. And thankfully, we only live like 15 minutes away from the hospitals. And thank goodness that like the adoptive family had already decided that they were just going to head over here and just stay. Yeah. Because they, we were going to get induced the next day. So it was not a big deal. And so thankfully, they had already made their trip, you know, almost here. And so we get to the hospital, I think, like 1130, 12 o'clock. And I'm in triage. And they're like, oh, this is the first time mom. We're still at her, you know. <laughs> uh, wasn't really dilated. I think it was like three centimeters. Like it was fine. Well, at three o'clock, they're like, "Hey, do you want some uh, epidural?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah." And so I go up there, and three thirty, they're like trying to put this epidural in, and I'm like, "No, not gonna work. I'm having her. It's oh happening." So they checked me because before I went up there, I think I was like six centimeters. So like it wasn't nobody really thought anything of it. And then I went up there and at 3.32, she was born. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Without an epidural. Uh, it got put in my back, but no medicine got put in. And so as like I'm well. drowning, the, or the adoptive mom comes running in. Okay, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> and like, I remember like I'm laying down and I'm like, I need a break. Can't do this. I need a break. And she's like, everybody give her a break. And my mom's <laughs> like, no, there is no breaks in birth. <laughs> I'm like, the adoptive mom got to cut the umbilical cord and hold her and do skin to skin and everything like that 
So that was really neat. I think they have like a few pictures of getting to do that and like when she was first born and everything. And so that was really neat. They got to stay in the room like right next to me. So they were there the entire 48 hours. She did stay in my room though uh, for most of it. They and you had wanted that, right? You wanted them to be in the next room? Yes. Well, okay. we didn't know that they were going to have a room available like that. But they just, we just got lucky and they did. And, they're, and that we were really lucky on that. Because I know a lot of hospitals are not that accustomed to, um, like, adoptions and stuff like that. A few hours or so, or maybe it was the next day, they had a friend come over um, that happened to live, like, near where I gave birth. That was, like, really the first time that the kid, or that, like, our kid, our daughter, been out of my room. And we had all kinds of people up there all the time. I had my caseworker, I had my mom, I had my dad, my sister. I had, like, all kinds of people. It was a hot mess. I don't even remember half of it, which is so sad. So, um, the adoptive parents took her to the room, uh, or to their room next to mine, and like spent time with her with their friends and I think that was like really the first time that I felt like my heart break you know like it was like this baby is not coming home with me mm-hmm. you know and I knew that but I think there's certain moments in your journey that like really solidify it for you and that mm-hmm. was one of them that was like my first one that really hit me that like this is real and they're like in here with people that like have nothing to do with me and like I'm in here trying to fill my body and that baby's not going to come home. Yeah. After that, we, the adoptive mom ended up staying in my room the last night that we were there pretty much all night. Bless that woman because she probably was so tired the next day and then she had to go home with a newborn. So God bless her. <laughs> um, and it was her and my best friend, um, which is a memory that me and her will forever share, which is great. It's made us a lot closer. Um, and so we got to sit in the room and all night and talk about my fears and like what's going to happen and how great and just, I mean, just everything. We got to just, you know, like really like bond even more. The next morning, I got woke up um, by them, but by the adoptive parents and my caseworker, and they had made, like, a plan that I got a six-month visit, um, which was not in that semi-open agreement that we had. Who came up with that idea? My caseworker, she was a huge advocate for me. Like, she really pushed really hard, like, for a lot of things so yeah I'm gonna go with she probably did that because I called her and like we talked about a lot of my issues that I was having like because I hadn't just formed a connection with my kid but I had formed this connection with the family and really had no idea that like how I was going to navigate losing both of them even though that my caseworker the entire time was like this is going to be a problem this is going to be a problem because you're getting too close and like, y'all are meeting without caseworkers, and, like, this is not good, and I'm, like, it's fine, we're good. Was there a caseworker also telling them the same thing? You know what? I have no idea. I think my caseworker kind of handled a lot of it. I think my caseworker was more involved. I don't know if it's because of the location or what, but my caseworker kind of talked to them as well about, hey, like, maybe we should have some more boundaries on this pre-placement. Well, because y'all had agreed with semi. 
rather mm-hmm. than an open. Okay. So after that, uh, it came time to sign my rights over and uh, I had to have two witnesses in the room. And so I had my dad and a friend of mine. And I remember the caseworker was there and then there was like a bassinet at the end of the hospital bed. The room was huge, which now I'm wishing like I would have had that with my second. So the baby's in the bassinet and I'm sitting there I couldn't face my dad. I'm sitting like with my back towards him and my caseworker's like reading all this stuff off. And like, I had really formed a big connection with my caseworker. So she, I think she was crying during the life. I was crying. Like there's no preparing you for like hearing the words that you hear. Cause it's so just stone cold. Like, yeah. Legal, <laughs> like, and it's, it's hurtful. Like, you know, it is just like, it was like daggers. Like I just, I had no idea that it was going to be that way. Like I knew it was going to be hard, obviously, but I just never realized like the degree of it. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just like crying and crying. And I'm like trying to like not let my dad see I'm crying. And like, I don't want to, you know, and so I'm like, and so I'm like signing this paper and I get done. And my caseworker like shared, you know, certain things. We got done and I hugged her and my dad, I look over and he's crying and we're all like, you know, like nasty gross. And I got to say bye. And as soon as like the papers were signed and I said bye, like I left. And I think that was probably the hardest thing to leave that hospital knowing they were up in that room, you know, and then you don't even get to like walk out. You have to be like wheelchaired out. And so that was just like, lost all dignity because I just wanted to run and like Mm. get out of this hospital. After getting home, I went through this like big euphoria. I mean, I was sad the first night, but, and I remember I slept on the couch so I could be close to my parents, which is weird because I wasn't like my parents. I didn't have like the super close bond. It was just felt more comfortable than sleeping in my bed for whatever reason. And well, part of me wonders if that's the, as a, new mom you're supposed to have this fit literally physical contact with this other right. human being i experienced a similar thing where it was like i did not want to be alone like i needed to be with someone because i think our body is telling us like you you should have supposed to be right like i know a lot of birth moms or i've talked to some who don't want any contact like physical contact in a hospital and mm-hmm. um, my dad was the same way my dad didn't want to like touch her I remember watching like Army Wives on Netflix in the chair at the hospital thinking they were going to like yell at me for sleeping with her like on me, but I didn't like, I was like, I don't care. Like, and so I remember like falling asleep with her like on my chest, like, and that's like something that like, when I get sad, that's what I think of is like, Mm -hmm. you know, the smell of newborn. Mm -hmm. That's how I remember her. I entered this like euphoria of like, this is how this is going to be. And it's going to be great. And we're going to be like this, like odd little family type situation, which sounds weird because you know you're not part of their family, but that's kind of like how I had justified it in my mind. I know you said the birth father wasn't really involved. Did he, did he come to the hospital? Did he meet her at all? Did he sign up? No. So, um, in Texas, you have to try to make contact with the birth Mm -hmm. father, I think three times. It was like legally done and obviously because agency is great about that. And so I really didn't have much dealing in that. Like they handled all of it. No contact was made with him. He would not even acknowledge it. 
I know he was aware of it. Like there's no denying that you were aware because I know lawyers attempted this. And then what happens is you have like 31 days post birth that um, they can like come forward and go, hey, 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 like I want. And then the baby would go into transitional care and all that stuff. Well, he made no effort. Actually, after the 31 days was up, not long after, because it was sometime in February, I think, or like maybe it was like early March, he contacted my parents Hmm. and was like, I had no idea this was a, I had no idea she was pregnant. I had no, you know, like, I want to step up, like, I'll make this right. And then I never heard from him again Hmm. until years later. And now like, we're cordial, like he knows about her, he's seen updates, but he doesn't talk to the parents. He doesn't want any like legal, any type of thing. He just wanted to know that she was okay and that, and at least kind of apologize for being a crappy person back then. Okay. 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 Well, I'm glad you at least got some level of closure. Yeah. yeah. And I, think, and that I think that's what I was, I really think is important because I wanted to make sure that she didn't come later in life and go, well, why was my dad so crappy? You know, or like, you know, and have this feeling of abandonment that like her dad never really cared. Now I get to say like, if she comes, okay, no, your dad stepped up. Like your dad did actually check in on you and know that you're okay. And like, we had a different connection later on, you know? And I think that's really important for her later yeah. on to be able to know that. Yeah. Wait, so did you sign away your rights after the 48 hours or did they make you wait after the 31 days? No, so I signed my rights over the 48 hours, and then I don't really know, like, legalities of how it w- would work if he did come back, but I know she would go into transitional care, and then, like, basically the court would have to handle, and I'm pretty sure, like, yeah. my rights given back if, like, something, I'm, I think, I don't know exactly how that works, but yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> We were, we were speaking about this in the last episode. Sounds like we'll have to have a panel on um, all of this and, and have an attorney on to explain all of this to us. So take us back to the point of post-placement and what that relationship turned into with the adoptive parents. After about six weeks, um, the phone number was getting cut off because like we, like I said, we did the Google thing. I had still been in this like mindset that this was a fairy tale and, and I actually blogged all of this. And so now I've gone back and read all of these blogs that I made like January, like 15th, you know, like, so it was like 10 days after having her. So I read all these and I'm like, oh my God, she thinks this girl that's writing this thinks that this is like some great, wonderful thing that's going to happen. Then like about six weeks later, I get a picture and it's my daughter in the stroller outside, black and white with her dog next to her. And for whatever reason, it hit me that, oh my gosh, they're not in their house, like quarantined, you know, with like no people around, you know, just being in their little bubble. It's now popped and they're like out in public showing their kid off as theirs and like part of me was like where do I fit into this like I don't and now I have to learn how to live without that part of me well not just your daughter but the parents that you had formed a relationship with yeah so after that the number got cut off and updates were 
oh, I'll send an update next week. It was either email or on Shutterfly. Oh, I'll send it here. I'll send it there. And um, it either just wouldn't come or it was like a pretty um, vague update. You know, I mean, you can only say the same update over and over. And I think, I don't think it was intentional, but I think that um, she was adopted prior and the adoptive mom was adopted, you know, when she was a baby and hers was closed. And so I think that played a big part in our story as much as you think it shouldn't. I think it does. And I think that pre-placement was her chance to get all the information she wished she would have gotten from her mom and her birth mom. Mm -hmm. It was her chance to get it from me for our daughter. But at the time of being 18, 19, I didn't see it like that. I mean, now that I'm a mom, I see it like that. But at the time I was just so hurt because I just thought she used me, you know, like she's just using me and setting me aside and she got what she needed. She got the baby and she's out. I didn't take into account emotions that were going through in her head of her own adoption and, you know, the issues with, so I think having a newborn and um, going through her own emotions and like with her own adoption. And then even like, I don't know that the connection was there with our daughter the way she thought it was going to be, you know, because I already had that connection because mm-hmm. I had her in my body for nine months. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a struggle. And I think a lot of moms, even moms who are biologically, you know, connected to their kid have struggles with emotionally connecting with them like the dad does. Um, and so I think that probably played a big part into it. And so there was a lot of things that played parts into promises being broken or not met or expectations not being met. What were the um, like agreed expectations beyond? I mean, obviously it's one thing to have these expectations from just what y'all had formed of a relationship verbally, but what was the actual agreement? So legally the actual agreement was two updates a year, um, which, and then the six month visit, Um, and that was around my birthday in July and then her birthdays in January. And so Um, did that happen? Yes. I've never had an issue of not receiving an update eventually. That was never a problem. And and I'm probably really lucky in that because I know a lot of parents, a lot of birth parents go through that. I think what I struggled with at the time was I um, had formed this connection with them as adoptive parents and like had this vision in my mind and then it wasn't the same. And so post-placement. And so I struggled with that and I had to grieve that relationship along with grieving my daughter. So we went through really hard depressions and anger towards them. Some of it was probably misplaced towards them. I lived on my phone at all times. I was checking my email like religiously and it was unhealthy like I would get out of work and I'd check my email or like I'd be on a date and I'd check my email like if I didn't get an update I'm like constantly just like you know and that's unhealthy and it's dangerous because then when you don't you're disappointed but it's not anybody's fault that you're disappointed you know I mean that and that's not their fault but 
um, it would be like, oh, I'll send it next week because it would be like weekly updates or just random like periodic updates that weren't in the agreement that I got. Once a month, she would upload pictures and stuff on Shutterfly and anything. I had expected pictures of that I could frame or that I could show people or that I, because I want to be proud. I was always proud of this thing that I did. You know, it was always, even as a server, you know, that I worked with, I like did it at a restaurant, um, post placement, people would be like, Oh, do you have any kids? I do. Yeah. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and now I'm like, okay, I should probably be more reserved about that. But I was so proud of my daughter and like the situation and like how amazing adoption is. And so I wanted pictures to like brag, you know, like, or to like, be proud of and they were always either blurry or you know whatever and I knew she had better pictures like if it was the best you got then it's the best you got but I know you got professional pictures like I knew those things happened and I just mm -hmm. missed a lot of that and um and like updates were lacking a lot of like detail like I didn't know what I wanted to know at the time now that I'm a mom I wanted to know like when did you get your first teeth or when did she start crawling or when did she start walking or did she fall down and hurt herself or did you know like there's mm -hmm. little things that like yeah I'm interested in what food she's eating that's great but I want to know these like mom details as a teenager who's not a mom you don't know what those details are that you want and so now that I'm a mom I've struggled with I wonder when she did this, or I wonder if she ever had this, or, you know, health issues. I wonder if she ever got this from me. And that's something that I struggle with. And I, and I think that a lot of our updates were how I was doing or how them as a family were doing and stuff like that. And those are great updates, but details were what I think I was looking for the most and I never got. Do you think having clearer expectations or a clear agreement would be more beneficial. I mean, I know you mentioned Absolutely. that you were a teenager. It's like you wouldn't have known and, and you can change your mind. You know, you may not know that you want the milestone, but I kind of wonder if that's where either caseworkers or adoptive parents or, or birth parents too can be like, so you want, you know, two updates a year in what form and what type of content would you like, you know, yeah, and to get ideas I think that's a good point because I have a friend who I've met who's a birth mom and her story is completely different. She placed like two years after having him. And so, you know, okay. her situation is completely different, but she struggles with the same thing similar um, that, you know, these updates aren't very good. And now her updates have stopped and, you know, they have their own issues. But I think that having this clear picture and this is something that causes issues in any type of relationship, but even heightened in adoption because of the emotions, having a clear picture of what you want and it not being vocalized to anybody causes disappointment and then adds on to that grief. And so like, if I would have been like, this is what I want, this is how I need it. This I need better pictures or I need to know when she got her first tooth or whatever, or how she does in the bath or whatever, then I think that would have helped the process more. Yeah. Well, and two for, I mean, adoptive parents to be like, 
then to be able to say, oh, heads up, I am a horrible photographer. Or, you know, like we're, yeah. which, you know, I mean, everyone, you know, everyone can take a photo, but, or, Hey, I'm going to be honest. My husband is more of a writer than I am. My, uh, like, I am not great at that or just to be transparent about also what you can offer. Yeah. Um, and both sides. Sometimes that written agreement is a good start, but I think, and in your circumstance, that is a very good example. Um, and also how the pre- I mean, in your situation, it also is not just about the expectations, but how y'all's relationship formed from the start. I think that was probably my biggest pre-placement. I just let it be however, and that's really unhealthy. If you're going to do semi-open, you need to stick to semi-open. And we can't expect birth moms to stick to that. First off, we've got hormones. That's right into <laughs> our body. Second being a teenager and not all of them are teenagers, but being a teenager, you're very just ignorant. Like you don't really know because you don't have any life experience. So mm-hmm. you've got to like expect these older people who are in your like mentors and like, you know, your caseworkers and your adoptive parents, huge. That's a huge thing because if you idolize these people, then you want to know like what they think. So if they like, as a people pleaser, they're like, oh, it's fine. Well then to you, it's fine. Even though that your caseworkers over here saying it's not fine. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's fine. Cause the adoptive parents say it's fine. So it's fine. And it's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not okay. And not that it can evolve, but, right. but I agree that it's like, but where it starts, like to move backwards is a lot harder. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I mean, for me, because of the relationship we had, because of my personality, I had a really bad time at that age, just letting people walk all over me and just kind of like giving whatever I needed to like make everybody else happy. As long as I race happy, I'm good. So in the hospital, you know, at like the little like mementos that you get, I'm like, oh, we'll just give them to them because like, that's more important to them. Now I'm like, I should have been selfish. I should have taken mm-hmm. that stuff. I should have taken more time. I should have like the birth certificate. I should have filled that out. Mm. And I didn't, I filled it out with their names on it. Why? I don't know. Mm. I had a name picked out for her that wasn't theirs, but I felt bad by saying that you had all these choices pre-placement and I just gave them all away. Mm. And then post-placement, I struggled with not having any choices because I reached out and I asked them to open the adoption twice, I think, at least. Both times were met with absolutely not. <laughs> um, and did they give a an lot explanation? Of, and I think, and nothing, nothing against them because I think they're fantastic people. And I'm so blessed that I found this family because I still stand strong that they are the family for her. They filled a lot of the explanation in which is like blank fillers. Like, you know, like, Oh, we okay. love you. And we're proud of you. And like, God told us this, and, but it doesn't really tell me why, you know, like, mm. because they're not comfortable. That would, that's the biggest reason I hear is we're not comfortable with it. But why? And at the time of getting close to them pre-placement, it was, Oh, well, you know, the agency has these panels. Maybe we can speak on them because she was a big person involved in the agency because of her connection with adoption prior and so, oh, like, maybe we can do these together. I mean, obviously without the kid, but, like, maybe we can connect, you know, a few years later and do it. Those things have not happened. And 
I struggled really hard with that because I didn't understand why. Like, what did I do wrong? Which is mm-hmm. nothing, but the time, you know, being young, you're like, what, why? As a birth parent, I think adoptive parents sometimes underestimate how much we cling on to because we don't have a child yeah. to cling on to and those memories to right. hold on to. I mean, almost to the point we always, you know, my mom always jokes of, you know, there's, I have three sisters and, and there's so many memories of us that she sometimes forgets who did what and, and at what point we did what, because there's so much to hold on to. There's so many great cherished memories, but as a birth parent, you don't have yeah. that. And so when you have these conversations with adoptive parents or things are said, you really do hold on to that. And I think that is important for adoptive parents to understand is the words weigh a lot more than maybe a normal relationship just because of the circumstances. Yeah. And I think it was really strange, um, like for us, because of the way, like in our book and even in their video, she reads this letter to her birth mom. That was like what I had envisioned our relationship to be is this like magical letter that she had read I think it was a lot of disappointment and a lot of like like confusion you know like I knew they wanted semi-open but here she is like reading this like beautiful letter about how like amazing these birth moms are and then goes you know okay well that's enough and then just like moves on you know and I think emotionally she was dealing with a lot but then forgot emotionally what I was dealing with you know yeah Yeah. I think after having my second um same hospital three years later three years and three days later in the same hospital same doctor I started to realize I mean I think my husband came home one night and um I was sitting in the nursery and I was rocking her and I was crying and he's like, why are you crying? Like he heard me on the you know, monitor and aside from like being crazy emotional because of hormones, he's like, why are you crying with our kid? Like, this is weird. I was like, I just like holding her and like that smell of like newborn baby reminded me of feeling my first daughter on my chest in the hospital and then like not having that feeling ever again. Mm. And I struggled with that, but what I had expected and what I had prepared my parents for and like, you know, him for is that when this goes, when this happens, when I have this kid, I may not love her or I may like resent her or what if I don't pay attention to her enough or what if I'm just like this mess of a person because I can't deal with this. And because I had always said I was never having another kid. After my first, I was like, I'm never having another kid. I'm not having a family. I'm not having a kid because I didn't want her to question later on, well, why was I not good enough to stay? Mm-hmm. You know, wow. you were able to raise another kid, but you weren't able to raise me. And that always bothered me. And I struggled with it in my casework. And I still talk about it because, you know, she's like, and Matt, remember, remember when you said that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, but so I think my biggest struggle now being a mom is going, okay, she hit these milestones or my second has hit these milestones. I wonder when 
she hit them, you know, and Mm -hmm. comparing the two, I mean, they look alike. I eventually had to go and, okay, this is not a good relationship. I've got to shut this down. I closed the adoption on like us communicating. And so those letters and updates get sent to the agency and I contact them when I'm ready mentally Mm. and I'll get them. And so I've gotten one from the agency. It was like two together and they melded in the mail and I sat down and I spent a whole day of just, this is enough for me, like enough preparing myself to sit down and grieve this and deal with it and then just move on. Because unfortunately that's what you have to do as you know, birth mom, you life goes on. Yeah. Well, and that you aren't refreshing your email at all times of day or night. And I'm sure with time you weren't doing it as frequently, but there's also this startling notification when you're not in that mindset, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, w- and I never thought 14. of it that way. Mm-hmm. Yes. I actually, so after the six month visit, um, I had already gotten into the point of being like depressed and angry with them. And the six month visit, we all went, my whole family went up to the agency and they had this cool little room. We got to sit in the room. She came in and we got to have just us time, just me and the adoptive mom. And that was really important to me. We walked through the halls of the agency where they had like this, like, um, like birth mom stuff on the wall and like went through the birth mom dorms and like all this stuff was so cool. And it was such a good experience. And, um, got to play with my daughter, which was so neat. She was six months old. And like, I have some really amazing pictures. My dad held her for the first time. So that was really neat. So then afterwards, um, she was like, what if we do Skype calls once a month? And so that was like a huge opening to me because, you know, I had already asked for open adoption and they said no. So we do Skype calls. Those hurt, I think more than anything. Every time I got off of them, cry. And I think for her too, I think it was hard for her because it wasn't a Skype call about our daughter. It was a Skype call to keep me and the adoptive mom's relationship alive. And I struggled really hard with that because I felt like she had already, like, how do you have a relationship with the adoptive mom without a relationship with the kid? Right. I mean, that's, I think she realized it was hurting her as well. It, caused her to go, Hey, we're going to cut these off. And so she made the choice to cut them off. I should have, you know, but I was so like, this is what I'm going to get. So maybe one day she'll also like open it and like, you know, eventually cut them off. And then they went to once a month updates for like the next year and they were pretty consistent. And then, um, it was like, you know, went back to sporadic and that was when I made the choice to go ahead and shut the communication off the way it was. It just wasn't healthy anymore. So I keep, and it's been, it's allowed me to be able to grieve in a different way than I was. Cause I was so scared of hurting them mm-hmm. by grieving a certain way. And so now I'm able to, you know, I keep a box of stuff that like I collect for my daughter. So when she gets old enough, Hey, like here's your box. Like, there's pictures and letters of people like from people that come in and out that know her or 
you know, that she's touched or, you know, things like that. We try to celebrate her birthday, you know, in our own little way, just like a little cupcake or, you know, just remembering her in her own little way, things like that to keep that alive still and like to remember her and to still keep adoption in our family without it being the only thing that we're about. And so have the visits also stopped then? So we only had that one six month visit and that was it. Oh, got it. So you haven't seen her since she was six months old. No. Okay. Do you still hope that one day it will become open? No. This is really weird, and I don't know if a lot of birth moms agree, but for me, I have now gotten to a place in my life that she's my daughter and she'll always have a place here. She'll, she's always important. I remember her all the time. You know, we have pictures of her and everything, but at the end of the day, she's not here and that is her family. And I'm no longer her mom in the sense of being her mom. Would you be open if later down the road, your daughter wanted to have a relationship? Oh, absolutely. If okay. she ever, she will always have a home here. I mean, if she ever wanted to say, hey, I want to know you, or if the adoptive mom reached out, I'm always open to it. How do you feel society portrays birth moms, and how do you feel people can better recognize what it means to be a birth mother? I think society as a whole is pretty ignorant about birth moms, and not in a, not in a hateful way. I think there's not enough education society views us as drug addicts or as people who just don't care and who'd rather go out and party or live their life or whatever. And I've had those questions where I was so overly proud of this adoption plan and of my kid and, you know, and where I'm telling people they go, Oh, you didn't want her. Well, of course I wanted her. Like, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. And like, I think a lot of people need to be educated on what to say, how to say it, and, like, what a birth mom really is, you know, I mean, because we don't educate on adoption hardly at all. When you go and look for books, there's hardly any from a birth mom's standpoint, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's, and, like, like, this podcast, like, this is amazing because there's not a lot of communication like this, mm -hmm. you know, and... I think that that's the biggest thing for like society to, you know, change their view on birth moms are not just drug heads who don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, we actually care about our kid, even people who have issues and who have, you know, whatever, who are in jail or whatever, who make an adoption plan at the end of the day, like we all do it because we care to such a degree about our kid. Well, and it goes back to how you felt shifting from pre-placement to post-placement relationship where you almost felt used for information and that I think birth moms are perceived as this idea and source of genetic information yeah. or just, you know, oh, what's my ethnic background or a resource rather than a potential relationship. For like people who do know about adoption you know, are still probably a little ignorant on the birth mom side because it is easy to go, oh, well, I'm going to use her for all this information. And even if it's not just ethnic or 
um, like medical, you know, and genetics, it's emotional stuff, you know, because I mean, we all connect with our kids on certain levels, you know, of our interests and stuff. And so I think for me, like she wanted to know everything about me. What was my favorite color? What's my favorite holiday? What's, you know, my shoe size? Like, I mean, that's a little exaggerate, but I mean, we had like an about me, you know, like the 21 question type thing, but not in the form of bonding because that's how I saw it. It mm-hmm. was a form of, I needed that information so that she wasn't left with how the adoptive mom was left Yeah, with her parents. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, haven't discussed that with her, but I can imagine that's probably what had to do with it is at the end of the day, she didn't have a lot of information because hers was closed. So she saw pre-placement as an opportunity to find everything she ever wanted to know about her. Yeah. And it may have not been intentional, right? Which I think is what you're hinting at. It totally could have been just subconscious or whatever. And, and maybe she didn't want to get to know you and she enjoyed it. And then she freaked out or whatever it is. But I think it's a good question for adoptive parents to ask themselves. Mm -hmm. If they are seeking information, where is that rooting from? And it's okay to want it. It Totally. Yeah, it's not bad. Exactly. It's not a bad thing, but I think we need transparency in that because being emotional because of a pregnancy, because that's already hard. And then being vulnerable because you're literally giving your child into somebody else's hands on top of everything else. You're literally just like an open, vulnerable, like any type of relationship will do at this point. Like any type of connection with these people that will be raising my kid. So, I mean, to have this relationship and then for it just to be cut off is hard. And I think if we said, Hey, if you want this information for your kid, which is okay to have, it's good information, then be upfront about it and be transparent and say, this is what this is for, not to form that connection that you may be feeling. It might be more than just, yeah, again, a, a source of information, but that we have the potential to have a relationship. I mean, we're human. We're not just, yeah, this role right. of birth mom. We desire relationships and bonds too. And, and not all not all birth moms do, but yeah. I think many do. And I think our personalities play a big part in it. You know I mean? Because like, for me, I'm a big people pleaser. I'm a big, you know, relationships. Even now I thrive off of, you know, like I need that social interaction to be able to, you know, manage life and so I think for and then some people aren't some people aren't like that and would rather just cut the cut ties and this is how I'm going to grieve and then you just like out of sight out of mind type thing yeah and I think that I don't I don't I don't process like that so it there's a lot of dynamics in our relationships and in the triad that play a big part into it yeah yeah Cammie I am um so honored that you have taken time to speak to us and share your story. You have incredibly insightful things to share with all of us. I hope that we can bring you back on maybe for a panel and hear more. Um, But thank you again, everyone listening. Thank you for hearing another episode of Birth Mothers Amplified. We look forward to having you back next week. Bye everyone. Bye guys. Birth Mothers Amplified is brought to you by the Gladney Center for Adoption and Adoption.com. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, 
and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Birth Mothers Amplified. The views expressed may not represent the views of this program or sponsors and should not substitute seeking the advice of licensed professionals. To speak with an adoption counselor, please call 1-800-236-7898. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.